He's the killing Missouri. I'm Reggie Bailey. This is Books of Pop Culture. Killy, how you feeling? Uh, a little hydrated, you know. Gotta gotta twist my locks free. Um, I'm feeling really good, you know. Lost two pounds. Um, mm. Trying to get a few more off, man. I'm trying to be shredded now, you know. Ah, <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, every pound yeah. you're you losing, feeling? every pound you're losing, I might be gaining. <laughs> Get out of you here, know what I'm saying? <laughs> I might be gaining every pound you lose, and I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually gonna give a little bit of an answer today to how I'm doing. You know, okay. I'm, I'm feeling good, and part of the reason why I'm feeling good, this isn't the ad because I won't say any brand names, but you know, the shea butter that I've been putting on is more smooth. Oh, and and, yeah. and so, so we're gonna, we're gonna have books are shea butter. We're gonna have books a books are, are shea, shea butter. butter moment, right? Because mm-hmm. The the shea butter that I that I last applied just is smoother than the other shea butter. I have two shea butters currently mm-hmm. that I two mm-hmm. white shea butters too that I currently um uh am, am like I guess cycling between and the more recent one is like light like mm-hmm. I don't need as much of it to do as much work and the other yeah. one is the the one before that is a little more rough. Both are smooth, but one's smoother. So mm. I like the one that's more smooth because it takes less time to do the job, you know? Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, when I jump out the shower, you know, I run to the Shea Butter. Because mm-hmm. I, I have this, um, I'm one of those people that kind of has like an aversion to being ashy. Um, I'm ashy as hell right now. That's what I was just thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I got lotion in the car. Like, so, so. <laughs> <laughs> when when I when I was working like in an office, right? Mm-hmm. Lotion was in my car. Lotion was at my cubicle, and of course, there's you know item there's shea butter at the house. Do you do the the, the lip balm stuff too? So I could be admittedly I could be better about that, but I do like shea and lotion my lips though too. That's what I do when so I do put on lotion. I just kind of today I was yeah you know and, and who knows sometimes I get lotion delivered in here, um but um yeah I I'm not a good steward of lotion as I used to be, but I have never I don't even think I've ever owned like the lip balm. Yeah. I, I I got Buku. I mean, I'm a Kappa, so I got, you know, I got guys who got like a whole routine, you know, in my yeah. circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hell yeah. But but you know, I'm I guess I'm not a traditionalist in in that sense either. But um, you know, I've worn a face mask or two. Um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I was just thinking, yeah, I could be ashy any moment right now. <laughs> um, but I'm more of a uh, I'm more of a uh, country a country noob maybe yeah. is what what you would call me. Yeah, man. Now that this this will probably I might continue this on the Patreon because I yeah ashiness is a very interesting topic. Believe Mm -hmm. it or not, it's more expansive than what you're probably thinking, listeners. And Mm. and I said books are shea butter. I should have said shea butter is pop culture. Shea butter Um, is pop culture. Yes. So our our first (laughs) our first title nomination for this episode is SBIPC, Mm -hmm. which is shea butter is pop culture. Um, mm-hmm. so, so thank you. If you're here, uh, thank you to the fellowship. Thank you to first time listeners, last time listeners, first time viewers, last time viewers and everyone in between, because you could be anywhere in the world, but you are here with us talking Shea butter and books. And for that, we thank you. We appreciate you. And we mm-hmm. don't 
take you for granted. Um, books of pop culture can be uh, consumed, engaged with, whatever the correct term is, a lot of different places. YouTube is one of the places. There's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. There's so many other podcast outlets that we're on, right? And on those, and on these respective places, you can subscribe. Like on YouTube, you can subscribe to us because we want to get to a thousand followers, right? We're at like four. 40 something as of this recording so we Mm -hmm. we, we're creeping up on it we want to get to a thousand um you can you can download our episodes you can follow us on the various podcast platforms you can leave a comment on youtube you can leave a review five stars preferably only mandatorily on the podcast outlets um and of course you can share you can you can tell it to a friend you can tell it to a friend of me you can tell it to a sibling. You can tell it to somebody you don't like. Tell it to somebody who you're thinking about whether or not you like. And, of course, digitally, I mean, it's easy. You know, copy-paste the YouTube link. Put it somewhere, right? Uh, copy-paste the audio link. Put it somewhere. You know, let people know we're doing good work because, you know, we are. That's 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 mm-hmm. the truth, especially today. With these topics we're talking about today, this is good work right here. So, yeah. you know, let people know, man. Support the brothers over here at BAPC. Um, and, and as you're supporting us, right? You can take it to the next level by going to our Patreon, patreon.com slash books of pop culture. We got two tiers. You know, we got the fellowship tier. We got the album mode tier. You know, in the fellowship, you get access to the discord that we have, which is popping. We in there talking about various different things and various different channels. Um, We have, you know, bonus content that's on the out, uh, not album mode in the fellowship tier. And then in album mode, you get the benefits of the fellowship tier plus early access to episodes of BAPC because we pre-record. So you'll get items first there in album mode um, and more benefits coming to both levels um, and maybe new tiers too. So definitely consider supporting us there um, because we are trying to do this for a living. Right. And, um, and this is work that needs to be done for a living. Um, Achille, we're discussing books here too, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Parable of the Sower being one, we'll be discussing this. The episode for this will come out Thursday, yeah, so you yeah. know, hopefully, y'all been reading. Um, because we're gonna be talking about it, man. Octavia, yeah, hopefully, Butler. y'all know where mine's at because I looked <laughs> earlier today and I have no idea. So, hopefully, y'all know where mine is. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have faith, I have faith you'll find it before we record. Uh, Going to the bookstore today. I'm not gonna play with it. I wanna. I wanna get. I wanna give this book the the love and care it deserves. So I'm gonna take my butt to the bookstore because this is a yeah. little strange. <laughs> yeah. Nah, man. Shout outs to your copy of Parable of Soul, wherever it may come from. <laughs> our our November book of the month is Our Prisons Obsolete by Angela Davis. We the episode for this will come out December first. So to be specific. Um, the October book of the month is Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Episode comes out um what November 3rd, 2022. And what our prisons obsolete is our November book of the month, and the episode for this airs on December 1st of 2022. Um, yeah, Kelly, man. Um, we have some interesting topics today. The first of which is our latest endeavor, which is the days. Um, which is our first, I'll say, newsletter. Um, yeah. You know, this is a, a, a long time coming. This is a what is what is what is the phrase I'm looking for here? This is like proper growth. This is something that we are supposed to be doing. 
and I'm glad that we are finally doing it. Um, so, so essentially what this is, is a monthly newsletter that'll include pieces from Achille and I, um, it'll probably include videos, um, and any other content that we are able to fit within the space. Um, it's something like a digital books, pop culture magazine. You know, um, I know when I was younger, I read slam, I used to have them, you know, sent to the house. Um, and you know, the issue would be for X amount of months or just, you know, X month, right? Some like you might get an issue that's like July and August. You might get an issue that's just September, just October, right? And that's something that, you know, we're doing with the days, right? And it's a space where we can be just like any other media space and put our, you know, propaganda out there. Cause that's, you know, that that's not to say that, you know, you shouldn't believe it because it is propaganda, you know, but I, I think um I think it's important when you have a message that you deliver it in as many mediums as you can. Um, so we are now going to be writing the BAPC message as well as, you know, speaking it. Um, yeah, Kelly. So what, what else do you think we aim to do here? I was going to say, I'm looking forward to finding like my voice there too, right? Like we've, we've been playing around with like essays and, or longer, I guess, reviews and, and I'm excited to explore what my voice sounds like uh, in that medium um, and and just provide another touch point uh, for some of these topics. Sometimes, you know, uh, with the newsletter, too, we have like a lot of a lot more freedom uh, to freedom to respond and respond quickly uh, to some of this stuff uh, and then to come back and talk about it on the show. Right. So it can provide like multiple touch points on topics. Like I was telling you earlier, um, there's a topic that I would like to maybe talk a little bit more about. Right. But you can you can put that out and then come right back <laughs> the next time we drop and say after thinking, you know. Um, and so there's just a lot more opportunity in terms of uh, of touch points. And I've just been thinking recently how cool it is to like literally just get better at reading and engaging with stuff in the public uh, sphere. Um, and so I'm really excited about that as aspect. I don't know if that's a little selfish, but, um, you know, um, tomato, tomato. Uh, I think that's, that's what makes this work fun, right? We're sharing it, right? Of course. So there's the, uh, the selfless part, but then we get better. <laughs> We've gotten better. We just continue to get better. And so I'm excited about that part too. Absolutely. And I, I don't think that's like selfish per se, like it, it because that applies to me as well. And also anyone else who we maybe invite to the space, you know, mm -hmm. anyone else who maybe wants to contribute to the monthly magazine, basically, that, that we're calling this. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's important that we create this space to right and 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 you know to kind of like quote an interview we we did yesterday which you all will hear soon enough you know stay a little dangerous you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying we can um we can we can take risk here we can think deeply here and what i like about what you said is now we create the topic right so so yeah. much of what we talk about on the show is not just like hey we just thought of this and we putting it up it's like, hey, this piece came up from here. Let's read it. Let's engage with it. 
let's put a link in the show notes so other people mm-hmm. can too and they could come back to us now we are the people writing you know being the authority figure if you will right we're the one being the authority and controlling what the topic is controlling the culture that's essentially what this newsletter is to me is a way for you and i to now control the conversation that the culture is having yeah um so that that is very um exciting to me um so some questions that i have written down about this right why is it important that we do this i think we kind of spoke about that right but uh the next question that i have is (laughs) this is this is self-indulgent for sure but is it official that we are both writers now ah yeah um you know i think you know as i as i write more publicly I think a lot about how writers like first, like how Toni Morrison said she didn't feel like a writer. I think what until Beloved, mm-hmm. uh, you know. I think more about that, and and so, I mean, technically, it's official enough for bio uh, consumption, right? <laughs> In our various social media platforms, and I guess technically, yeah. mine's has been official since I have like a book, you know, marauding about out there in the in the world. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, you know. Interestingly enough, a good friend of mine told me um, that he enjoyed my co-writer's poems, um, mm-hmm. and I was, I was like, "What a great space to be in!" You know, and mm-hmm. and and I, I was thinking to writers, I was thinking about writers who talked to. And I was like, how they say sometimes, like reviews don't matter. And you know, I thought for about ten seconds, I wanted to punch him in the stomach. I was like, "Where's your loyalty?" Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> but now it was cool yeah. though, like to experience that. He was like, "Hey, I love yours too, but I like this more." I was like, "Okay, look at you, honesty." And, right. and 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 you know, from friends, so that was cool. But yeah, I don't know. How you feeling about that? I mean, yeah. I mean, if I'm putting, if I'm claiming that this is a digital magazine and I'm putting a piece out there every month for people to You're read, yeah, I mean, it's a writer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, especially if like. This is the way because because this is another thing, too. This is another way. This is another point of introduction that we've created. Right. So some people now are going to find us via our written word. And then they're going to realize, oh, these guys actually like have a show that they have, you know, 50 plus episodes on already. You know, this is just their first edition of this. So it might become a thing where the days becomes bigger than the, the audio, right? We might get more Mm -hmm. readers of that than we do listeners of this. Right. So, you know, it's just, you know, in that, in that you got to give the people what they want. It's just like, for example, right. And this is, this is selfish for sure. It's like how, yeah, I had created two books under 50 reviews, but the people chose the market chose 10 books, 10 decades. So Mm -hmm. I in turn Mm -hmm. chose what the market chose, right. You know, sometimes you just got to listen to what, People might say one thing, but they'll always show you what they really believe. Right. So you just, but it's up to the uh, recipient of these actions to decipher it accordingly. Right. And we will, with the days now, have the opportunity to decipher accordingly. What do the people really want from us? Right. Because maybe they'll say, listen, we want y'all to put out pieces every Monday and Thursday instead of episodes. And if that's Mm -hmm. the case, we got to think about what we want to do. Um, yeah. so that's that's one thing that is very exciting to me, right? And and that would definitely make it official that I'm a writer, although I believe 
shit. Even putting out One Piece makes me one now. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was thinking we could maybe talk about what we're talking about, but because this is pre-recorded and because there might still be a revision or two that gets made, um, I maybe won't say on my end, I maybe won't say what I'm going to write about. Did you want to mm-hmm. give people a free preview of what you're going to be talking about? <sighs> Link in the show notes, by the way, too. So, like, if you're listening yeah. or watching, like, you can read the newsletter, like, right now. Oh, I guess I want to give them an opportunity to respond before I yeah. delve into it. Because uh, I think, you know, so one of the things I'll say this, you know, I, I've been... Um, toying around with writing essays, and I don't know if I feel like this is a full fledged essay or not, but I, the the French etymology mm. um, is something like essayist or something like that mm. uh, that I got from um, Jesse McCarthy's book, um, and it means like attempt or like the attempt. Uh, and so I'm really right now, I guess, as a writer, thinking about. Uh, that like an attempt to capture your thoughts on something and so then you get a response right like some of the some of the work we're going to be looking at today is is in response to other work um <clears throat> to a certain degree and then i think you attempt to respond back right so that's the kind of discourse i'm interested in uh and and we'll see we'll see how this goes the first topic we're going to broach today is the representation trap right and this is inspired by two pieces that we've had the opportunity to engage with the first is this piece from the new york times by ismail muhammad who is a story editor i believe if i'm wrong my apologies but a story editor for um the new york times and he wrote a piece very good and provocative by the way too called can black literature escape the representation trap and then there's this other piece called how the New York Times covers black writers, which is from public books and is written by Howard and Howard Ramsey, the second and Kenton Ramsey. Um, so basically, right, to give a brief synopsis, p- provide your elevator pitch for these pieces, Reggie. Um, can black literature escapes the representation trap basically talks about how, you know, there are certain novels that are out now, which um basically lean on familiar tropes as a way to like potentially get published or and or potentially receive a high level of success upon being published right and then the other piece is pretty much like the question uh that is the title of the article it's just an examination of how the New York Times has covered black authors um, just over time, like over about probably 70, 80 years, I'm guessing. Say, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much like the elevator pitch for both of these pieces. Right. And I think they I think they work very well together, too. How, how do you feel about that? Do you think they work well? They're having if if not, maybe a conversation, maybe they're kind of like trying to phone each other maybe they're playing phone tag with each other yeah so there's a there's a conversation in there i just don't know exactly if it's the exact same conversation but they're definitely um you know telephoning each other because i think uh you know we we know who the most covered 
uh, person was in that article. <clears throat> and when you think about the treatment that person got in, inside of the uh, representation trap article, um, I think they're definitely in conversation. Uh, and I wonder, you know, when in reading the representation trap one, I just wonder how much that goes into some of those authors' minds, the ones that are mentioned, not necessarily all of them, because we got some other thoughts about like how that's affecting uh, black authors that are getting into the market, right? I'm talking about the ones that are already in the market. Are they like, you know, sit, sitting down at the desk and saying, hmm, how can I include police killing on this go around? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and some of them may, right? That's kind of a part of this conversation, right? Or how can I? How can I? Okay, so police killings are popular right now. How can I spin that? Change that up a little bit, you know. You know and, and you know, I'm a, I'm a just say it. You know, I wonder how much of that also is like, you know, you submit your manuscript to an agent. The agent knows what is, you know, getting published. And the agent says, "Listen, like your manuscript is dope. I think, I think we'll." find a higher bidder and a quicker bidder if you maybe consider you throwing <laughs> one items one two or three in there because mm, this yeah. is a lot of what i'm selling to publishers right now mm -hmm. yep see that uh is what we call a callback that's called remembering the topics you read for the show <laughs> mm -hmm. but um yeah. yeah man um so we will not name people who we've spoken to about this piece but we have right mm -hmm. and, and and right now i'm talking about the representation trap piece from the new york times by ismail muhammad right we won't name names but i'll ask you do you think ismail muhammad was fair in his piece i i felt i feel he was fairer than the brandon taylor piece uh that we read right yeah. and, and i don't think brandon taylor was unfair right right so i feel like this one was more polished to me actually in terms of in terms of fairness right um it it, it made me want to reread the brandon taylor piece actually um in terms of, of that uh and kind of see if i was see if i still felt the same way i still feel the same way about my big issues with the brandon taylor piece um and this kind of affirmed that but i also wanted to go back and see how brandon felt about himself as a writer again to be sure of how I felt about that portion of the piece. And to be specific, Achilles referring to um, the Brand Taylor piece we engaged with on our episode Stampain, which mm -hmm. was his uh, basically take on the trauma plot piece mm -hmm. that was written by uh, Peru uh, Segal, Segal, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think Ismail Muhammad was fair. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, I think he had a goal in mind and he accomplished it. You know, one one could say, you know, um, you know, he he's talking about the writers and their work more than he's talking about the industry that they're navigating. Right. But I don't think the industry that they're navigating is what he wanted to talk about. And I think that's OK. Yeah, I think, I, I think there's going to there's plenty of opportunity for him to do that. And yeah, um, so, yeah. so, so much ahead, ahead. work, so much work. And, and, and there's this wonderful thing I'm looking forward to, like for these like Monday episodes that Achille and I are going to cover. It's this it's this piece about 
like really bringing some serious equity and inclusion to publishing, right? Like there's just wonderful work. Even this published, this public books, uh, hacking the culture industry series. There's, there's dissection of this industry coming from numerous places. It doesn't need to stop. It needs to be a full on assault. It needs to continue. Right. But I think it's okay that Ismail wasn't a part of that assault. I think it's okay mm -hmm. for him to take this specific angle and I think this angle is very provocative, right? And, and it gets, you know, it gets the people going, of course, but it gets the people thinking more importantly. Yeah. I think um, there's something to be said about his choice of, how, of what he chose to center to. <clears throat> so in thinking about, like, writing essays, right, it seems to me, right, at least at the forefront of, of, of some of the process, right, you choose a centerpiece, uh, same thing also, you know, with books, right? You choose like a centerpiece. Like when we're talking to the person we were talking yesterday, Nietzsche was like a centerpiece and you build, there's the A story, there's what's happening on the surface level, and then there's the B story. Shout out to Save the Cat, right? It's a novel. Uh, but the B story is where the, the real meat and potatoes is going on. I think for him, his B story was analyzing those books and he could have made the choice of, analyzing the industry more so right and and then again you wonder how much of that is on him and how much of that is on his process of, of edit, editing um and i think more of it is on him in this point right there's just so much emphasis on those books <clears throat> has he written any books ismail has not uh published any books i mean i i think i i've seen Cause, cause this is not not nowhere near the first uh work of of his that I've read, mm -hmm. um. But I I have like seen a couple times. Oh, he's working on a novel and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So you know, I would definitely read it whenever it it comes out. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Um, he's even done like the tournament of books. Like you know, he's he's been a little bit of everywhere, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, when you bring I, that up, that makes me think about that in terms of how some of the people felt about it. But not that he hasn't written a book, but that it wasn't as industry centered um, in regard to this, which is where that other book, when, when that other book, where that other article comes in. Right. And to, to continue with Ismail, just real quick, right? I think what's important about the piece is that he did not include the industry because there's an important there's an important part in the piece where he talks about like writers who did not who he feel did not fall in the representation trap, right? Mm -hmm. Although I think he did, ironically, right? Ismail did, but mm -hmm. he does talk about writers who did not. And he mentions Morrison. He mentions Sadiq Fafana, which I 1,000% agree with. He mentions Disha Filial, which I 1,000% agree with. He even mentioned, um, I, I'm on camera, I think it's this way. Yeah. He even uh -huh. mentioned Sweet Saw Plenty Rhythm, which is on my bookshelf here, which I haven't read uh -huh. yet. But it makes me look more forward to reading it since he put it in a class with Disha, Sadiq, and Morrison, right? You know, Morrison got several canonical works. Disha and Sadiq, in my opinion, also have canonical work. So now mm -hmm. it makes me wonder, damn, did Laura write some canonical too? Yeah, yeah. He put her, he he put her up there in the canon, right? Yeah, so yeah. um, you know, I, I think that was his aim, but ironically and unfortunately, I do think the piece is it, it can't be anything other than, I guess, representation trap. 
since that's the mm-hmm. topic though. So maybe it's not as ironic as I as I um am getting at. Um, you know, he takes aim at luster, such a fun age, not such a fun age, really. Yeah, actually, Luster, yeah, such a fun, such age, a fun age in real life, right? Mm-hmm. He kind of, sort of takes aim at the other black girl, but he's he's more receptive. He said he enjoyed, to, yeah, yeah, the way the way, yeah. So there's this piece in there, and I wonder if people, how people are engaging with that part particularly, right? Like this piece where you can use the trope uh, to to like attack the trope, right? Um, and so that's where I think he felt um, the uh, what's the name of that book? The one you mentioned first, the the other black girl um, gets interesting because it made me feel like so this piece made me feel like that what's been happening is people like the tropes, right? Yes. People like the tropes, right? People being the consumers like the tropes, and rather that's because of how it's covered or because of just we like that we like to hear those stories about ourselves possibly right um and then when you get a book that's that's outside of the tropes in the way that it's um written right and then what it chooses to prioritize sometimes people are upset you know and they say we don't like this book you know this book is about a pick and i haven't read this book yet um but you know this piece made me want to see if see if see it for myself I mean, and, and, you know, spoiler alert, you know, just, you know, if you like reading with BAPC, I would just suggest you make sure you have a copy of the other black girl. That's what I'll Mm. say. Right. And, um, yeah, it made me want to read it even more because I wanted to read it even when people, when I saw certain people bashing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the, the thing that I disliked about the bashing of the other black girl and the bashing of luster was like the the critique was about like character choice which i'm i'm not a big fan of because it's like oh this wouldn't happen it's like yes it would yes and it it can we we are we are human you saying you saying a human cannot do something that is normal is dehumanizing despite your good intentions right yeah. because some 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 critiques i've seen of luster for example oh a black woman wouldn't do what Edie does no a black woman would do what Edie does and yeah. more importantly a black woman can do what Edie does right and, so so yeah. there should be room in our imaginations as not only an author but also as a reader to be able to know that that's not something that we can that's not a critique that we should toss at a book i think it can be a personal critique right like you know i was telling you off air i'm not a huge fan of that trope that don't mean that the book's not good right you know what i mean and so i think that's where i'd be getting ticky with all that with that with that trashing of books like i I just say it didn't work for me it might work for you right um, because if it can happen in the real world, for instance, like, um, I remember Chanello saying like, she knows girls like that. Right. Um, when, when we were loosely discussing luster and that's true. Right. Now, are those girls, your friends might be the thing, right? Are those girls, your friends, if they're not your friends and you just don't rock with those kinds of people, that don't mean that those people can't be characters because they exist in the real world, in the real world. Right. And so, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that the book is bad. It just might not be the book for you. And that is totally fine. 
right? That, that's totally fine. And that's one thing I liked about Brandon Taylor's piece. He was like, maybe I just have a type. And yes, I know I do. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and and some of us like go super hard for our types, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we also need the self-awareness to know that. Self-awareness right? is everything. And, Come on. And, and and that's the thing that these critiques lack for me is a sense of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Right. And and with the other black girl, right? You know, this is uh, this isn't spoilery, right? But pretty much, some people disliked how, I guess, apparently. Well, yeah, this is in the synopsis. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's one black woman working at the publishing house. Another black mm-hmm. woman gets hired, but they basically are like enemies, right? Some yeah. people don't like that reinforcing of like, oh, there can only be one. But you know, m- my thing is that that that's happening. It's it's happened and it's happening. So, like, you know, that that's the story. And the thing about fiction and just like these narratives that not only aim to like, you know, confront us in a certain way, they 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 need like dramatization, right? And it just so happens that was the choice of dramatization to drive the narrative forward, right? That was the choice that zakia made once again i haven't read the book either but i'm not going to critique her for the choice let me engage with the work to see how the choice was executed yeah i think um and that's where you got this conversation of the representation trap right is that is that choice influenced by these tropes that exist now uh, the book I just mentioned, uh, and in, in, in the conversation we had yesterday, it just so it has not been problematic to for people to redo tropes since the beginning of literature. And so then my question is, why does it become problematic for us to redo tropes of ourselves if the work is executed in a good way? Right. Meaning like, you know, what is it? The hero's journey. Right. That's been gone over and over and over again. Boy, boy uh, is born, loses his parents. Uh, boy goes forth uh, to on this journey and, you know, comes home a changed person and is better. Right. OK, so that's a trope. Right. Um, it's more of a it's, it's a broader one, I guess, where you can do more. Um, but it's been done over and over and over again. And the stories that we love do it well. The stories that do not do it well do not do well. And then you have the media influence that tells us which ones should do well, right? And so I wonder um, when does, uh, why does that become problematic? And I also have been wondering, and we've talked about this too, um, but this new found you know how people are saying like comedy is dying yeah people right? say it in all the current time, climate man. like comedy mm-hmm. is dying in the current climate i feel like there's a there at least at least because i haven't seen a lot i feel like people are just not rocking with satirical uh novels both previous ones and upcoming ones and contemporary ones because it doesn't fit the comfortable trope satire confronts the reader a lot harder than like straightforward narratives Mm -hmm. and i think people a lot of readers are uncomfortable with confrontation and it reflects in their critiques of the work right um self-awareness once again right 
and and you know a, a book that you admittedly I, i'm gonna just cite this to you because it is in like our our little notes that we have mm -hmm. the sellout right which mm -hmm. is once again during our conversation yesterday i talked about how i had to look at myself and say i was not ready for this book the first time i tried to read it because yeah. that was the truth i was not ready for the way paul Beatty wanted to confront me as a reader right he confronted me i backed down straight like that that's not <laughs> yeah. that's my fault not his until i confront him fully and i finish that's when i can say you know what maybe it is your fault you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying and you know humor is also tricky because usually there's an audience for your humor depending on what room you're in one joke you make will get you will get your ass beat mm -hmm. the other joke will get the whole room falling on the floor laughing right mm -hmm. so that that's a risk when it comes to just endeavoring to write humor is like not only are you not able to provide like the body language that might be easier to interpret you have to write the humor and you have to hope that people interpret words and use their imagination to get what it is you're aiming for right and you know the other black girl has been listed as a satire just like the sellout the sellout mm -hmm. to me, though, you know, sellout goes on to win the man booker, goes on to win the National Books uh, Critics Circle Award. And I'm sure if we looked on Goodreads right now, it also has a higher rating than the other mm -hmm. black girl. Right. The other black girl is going to be a series on Hulu, you know, so I got option that that's a hell of a win. Right. Um, but the same token, readers have been just quite frankly, unkind to it, mm -hmm. at least the ones I've seen. And I don't know. Yeah. Again, we hadn't read it, right? So yeah. you know, maybe it is, maybe it's deserving of this critique of this of these critiques. So I've seen and I've seen readers and I've seen authors. Uh, not well, not necessarily seen or but just discussed. Uh, you know, it's just like a it's like a I don't know. You know, I like there's like poop in the road and folks just be like, hey, watch that poop. Yeah. Um, you know, that's poop there. It's gonna ruin your shoes. That's kind of like the treatment it got. And I wonder if it is fully deserving of the treatment. And that's why I want to read it. And and see, here's the thing, too, right? And and this is where we kind of sort of start bleeding into the other piece. Mm -hmm. If you go on bookmarks.reviews, you know, the, the place I, I sent when we was on with Chanello on the Patreon, y'all make sure y'all uh you know stream that too, join the Patreon, get access to that episode because it was dope. Um, you know, there if you go on bookmarks.reviews, the critics raved about the other black girl, right? Now, you know, some people will talk about politics there because the other black girl, you know, Zakia, uh, shout out to her, by the way, right? Shout out to her just in general because she received a big advance, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was a big deal when it was coming out, a ton of promotion and this and that, right? So some people might cite politics, right? Some people might also cite the whiteness of the critics, right? Maybe if the critics were more black or whatever, maybe this would be different. But I also wonder, because I haven't looked at who reviewed on these you know, publications, right? Because a lot of times the publications like the New York Times might reach out to, I'm just throwing a name out there. They might reach out to Robert. They might reach out to Disha. They might reach out to Mateo, right? Or maybe, I don't know, one way or the other, one way or the other, publication gets connected to author who writes a review for a book that they think would be like 
suited for them right yeah yeah you know mateo i've seen him review books by black authors and books by like asian authors and everything right mm -hmm. so like he's doing a little bit of it all right but sometimes you know how they do they think oh you're black you'll get it review this mm -hmm. book yeah um but nonetheless man one section of readership seems to like that book in particular more than another section so some people mm -hmm. might include that in their critique and i think some people let that affect how they critique when they yeah. know hey i looked at goodreads and you know these these white people who i see are giving it a five right so you know now i don't like it yeah I, I, there's no way i'm gonna like it because i don't need to be on the same page as them and that happens a lot that happened a ton with tanahasi coats right yeah. yeah you know where because because it's interesting in that piece where you know, the authors put in the 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 bit where Nicole Hannah Jones asked him, why do you think, you know, white readers like like your work so much? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and to be honest, I, I think I might have seen that. I, I'd have to double check it. But I feel like he said, I don't know. And I kind of feel the same way because Tanahasi is not like nice. I from the work I've read, he's not nice to white people in his work. I feel like so, you know, again, there's that there can be only one thing, right? And then I think in this climate or in that climate, we were headed into this uh, space where it has to be the black woman. Uh, and and to, to the next piece, when has it not been that, right? In terms of what they say, like from the 70s up until now, right? And yeah, I just, I would prefer to be a writer that answers that question with, I don't know, right? Because I'm just writing. Um, you know, I'm just writing, dog. I don't know. Hell, why, why, hell, why you think the white folks hired you a do? Right at that point, right? He could have, could have asked that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so the this part, um, that that's in the uh, initial article, or the um, the uh, Ishmael article. Some it says uh, that black literature is sometimes allegorical, sometimes metaphorical, but always struck by representation. Right. And then you have Morrison's response to that, um, where she is wondering how writers can undo this bind. Um, and her response to that was inquiring to the substance of black experience while largely uh, skewing any encounter with whiteness. Right. I don't even know. We've talked about this, and this is one of the things that I think Morrison does well. And this is why Sadiq and Disha. Uh, books I have read are like continuing in this tradition. We are black folks, black folks, Mexican folks, um, <laughs> Puerto Rican folks. Uh, we are we we are insulated, right? Yes. Partially because of whiteness. Like you, you made us insular, right? And then when we when we record that, it's about representation. No, that's just our story. Right. Like I don't you know, I'm in Mississippi. Right. And my school was 98 percent black. Right. I didn't even one of my favorite stories to tell folks is one day we had to go and find where the white people even lived in Natchez. We were like, we don't even know where they live because all I knew. Like, so, you know, I don't know how this works in other cities, but right. Like you got hoods. Right. You yeah. got a city. You got hoods and hoods are beefing. Right. The only hoods I knew that existed in Natchez were the black ones. So I was like, 
So where that we got you got Linwood, you got O Dub, you got River Oaks, you got Bravo, shout out to Bravo, you got uh LaGrange, you got um uh you got Cedarhurst. I was like, and those are all the neighborhoods I know that exist. Where the hell are the white people? So when you get these stories, right, like like the ones Morrison writes, um, and I, I would assume that Morrison probably had to do more work here, right, in terms of this skewing any encounter with whiteness. And 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 the work and when and when she makes the decision to write about the insulation of blackness, um, it's it's dangerous, right, to her uh, being published more so than it is now, which is the representation trap. But I don't think Disha gave a dag on God, gave a damn about that. Nah. Disha was trying to write a good book, like a book that she would be proud of. I don't right. know if that mattered to her, right? Um, yeah. And. Even even knowing some of the things that Disha does, right, in terms of still going to workshops, in terms of, you know, go like, I don't think that's her aim. I don't think she sits at her desk and says, um, oh, I got to represent for the church ladies. Or, you know what I'm saying? No, no, not, not <laughs> at all, I don't think Sadiq bro. does that. You know, like, I think, and the books are better for, but do they, so for instance, I will be interested, this is where, one of your things that you were harping on, Reggie, um, gets gets interesting, and where that next article gets more interesting because we don't get the data. We don't get to say, "Oh my god," yes. we don't get to say anything, which is which was my point too, right? Because we don't get to control who gets to be in those um, in those conversations. We don't get to control who gets to become those dots on the next one. How is the New York Times? Uh, how does the New York Times report black authors? And then we don't get to control who becomes the bestseller. So we don't have the data. And if we have the data in that other article that we were reading about that, uh, the, the bestsellers, they they can say, well, hey, it's it's not just about who sells books. It's about editorial uh, choices. Mm. And, da, 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 da. and that's that control too aspect that I was talking about. Do we deserve that data? So I can say that Sadiq Fafana's book, um, you should be writing more like that. Uh, hell yeah, we deserve it. Is it a, is it a reason we don't get it? Absolutely. One hundred million percent. There's a reason we don't get it. And and, and this, I have this somewhat provocative thought. I want to share based off what you said about Disha. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this is why their work is so much better. I don't even. I would venture to say when they're writing these books, they're maybe not even thinking about the fact that they're black. They're just thinking no. about the people. <coughs> it's just it's it, the people. <laughs> it, like they're just thinking about people who they know. It doesn't, these people happen to be black, but that's not of concern. The concern is like, you know, the, the pursuit of the American dream. The concern is the pursuit of love. The concern is just being like a more full and healed version of yourself, right? It, it it's things that are just innately human and not innately black, right? So can you write a book like that and include white characters? You can write a book like to, that and to, include to to the point of like a luster. You can, but people don't because that doesn't sell. Mm. And we in the business of selling books. We're in the book. <laughs> we're in the book business. <laughs> you know, 
we write yeah. books for the book business. We yeah. write books for them to be consumed. Mm-hmm. We don't write the them. We don't write them for our health. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. There's there's this certain urge for me to write now, right? Mm-hmm. And in in my platform of choice is our newsletter. But I'm not doing it so you and I, the only niggas that read it. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I expect people to read it. I expect people to challenge me. I expect people to compliment me. I expect people to trash me. Like mm-hmm. engagement is the thing. And and and, and here, here's the thing about like including the white character in there, right? Like, you know, admittedly, I've never like dated a white woman or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know if like the conversation at home is like racial or, or not, right? I don't know if the conversation is just slice of life. Like, hey, you know, like I I know slice of life is in there. Like, hey, what'd you eat this morning? Or did you enjoy, you know, whatever? How's your break? I blah, 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 it, right? I'm just, but, I, I got race too much for me. I, I, I did, you, did you, Katie, did you season the damn Katie? <laughs> I told you last time season the spaghetti. But like I I wouldn't even, you know, that wouldn't even be a like if I have to, I don't know that. That's another. That's maybe a Patreon topic anyway. That's maybe a Patreon topic or something. So so then, well, I think what you're touching on though, Reggie, when you when you are writing that type of story, I think it becomes difficult to not be in the representation trap, right? Uh, Right? If there is one, right? Because to to talk about. The, the quote earlier where I said uh, it's sometimes allegorical, sometimes metaphorical, but always choked by representation, right? Um, you have to consider how those relationships are represented in the, in the current media landscape, right? If you are writing a contemporary novel in a set in contemporary America, you have to consider the contemporary climate. Um, and, and so it's going to become difficult. Now, if you are writing a novel, like you said, where um, the question is about something like um, let's so, so so let's say I'm trying to think of a of a good tro a good like theme so oh so like let's say uh for instance father fatherlessness and this concept of it takes a village right so if that's the theme you're exploring then why does why do you have to consider um, what's kind of happening in the contemporary landscape. You have to consider what's happening in the ecosystem you're building more so. Um, and so I think maybe that's, I think we, you cannot be trapped in the representation trap, but then to, to, to do a callback to me, you and Chanello kind of talking, you know, about, I think the last time we had Chanello on, you could write that book. Is it going to sell? Right. You can write that book. You can write that book. You can self-publish it and you might get it. You probably can get it published, right? I mean, there are books that are, we have read books that exist like that that were published. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it gonna sell? You're gonna earn back out, you know what I'm saying? You're gonna get another book deal, you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, what, what's up? What's up? And, what and will, will the New York Times talk about you not only what, let me go, let me do this in order. Will the New York Times review your book first? Then mm-hmm. when they're reviewing other books, will they reference you like they do they like they did Morrison, <laughs> like they did 
Walker, <laughs> like they're doing Zadie, like they're doing Colson, like they're doing Tanahasi, mm-hmm. right? Will yeah, they yeah. cite you as like a litmus for yeah. anyone, you know, if you write that story? There's two things I want to talk about, too. Again, to to, to echo back on um, Tanahisi Coates, right? And, and whether or not he's responsible for the way that he is, like, received by white people, right? There and the other piece was this portion about Whitehead, right? And it made me think about something that came up in the conversation yesterday about checking boxes. And it was like, there's no question that Whitehead has been more productive than many of his peers, uh, releasing eight novels and two creative nonfiction works since 1999, literally meaning a new book every two years over the last 20 years. Uh, productivity alone does not explain why he is cited so much more than other black men novelists. Whitehead is an extraordinarily talented writer, a New York City-based author, a graduate of Harvard University, a recipient of several notable awards, an apparent heir to Ellison, and an author of a neo-slave narrative, and someone who is well-liked by influential white black people. Is he wrong for being that? Like, is it, it like, like, what? It, like, I don't, so the whole, ch- again, when you when you are so far on one end of the spectrum, your argument then is thrown. I think what you said, you had said like they they throw in the arguments from so far away that they can't uh, see that you just you literally you, kind of the same person. Your your <laughs> one side is so far over here, the other side is so far over here that they have no choice but to scream at each other because they never get close enough to just talk to each other. Yeah, so like he wouldn't think. I just don't know how much you can look. The man was working hard. Yeah, like. He chose a different route. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think he was like, I'm going to check. I mean, he could have been like, I'm going to check these boxes. Like you think about, uh, if you read Michelle Obama's book, um, you know, she was thinking about, I want to check out these boxes. And she got to the top and she was unhappy. She was just like, nah, I'm straight on this. And and she, AC Gerald too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so I don't know how much of a, how much of a, uh, like, cheat code checking the boxes is um if you're not really if that's not really your your mo you know what i mean if that's not yeah. who you are if you, if you buy into that just just like you can buy into that idea that checking the boxes is important you can buy into the idea that not checking them is important but what's really important in that regard is your happiness and if colson is happy then you know and i got and... some white people that like me does that mean i'm in authentic because I got some white people that I know like me. Dang, yeah. my bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and this this industry is so white that it's that it's inevitable that someone white is gonna like you. Somebody it, white you know, don't like you, dog. It's, it's it, 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 it don't hurt. I can tell you that. I, I didn't feel like I got stung. <laughs> you know, like it's 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 inevitable to participate or even be adjacent to mainstream publishing develop some influence some reputation in this world and not have white people just have feelings towards you good bad or indifferent right it's literally unavoidable everywhere Uh, and 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 look you know with colson right you know one could argue he did check boxes to finally get pulitzers because you know, his first few novels, what the intuition is, uh, you got what uh John Henry Days, you got I, I may not be in order right now, but Apex Highs the Hurt, Sag Harbor, 
uh, Zone One, right? It wasn't until he put out the Underground Railroad, which mm -hmm. was a neo-slave <laughs> narrative, right? Mm -hmm. That he's won a Pulitzer. He got nominated. He was a finalist for a Pulitzer with John Henry Days, which did kind of like get at race, just like the intuitionist did, right? But the neo-slave narrative took him over the top, right? That's the one that got picked by Oprah. That's the one that won the National Book Award. That's the one that won the Pulitzer. That's the one that won an Arthur C. Clarke Award for science fiction, right? Then mm -hmm. he comes back with Nickel, takes on race again, and even in in brings a story to the light that had been in the dark for so long, right, with the Dozier School for Boys down in Florida, wins another Pulitzer and a Kirkus, right? And, and you know, he dives into these intensely like racial stories right versus the allegorical racial stories and it takes them over the top so you know i i wonder i'm not that's not to say he didn't want to tell these stories but you do wonder how much of it was a business decision and my thing is can we be mad at him for making a business decision and wanting to make a living like i said i don't want to write this newsletter and like it doesn't do anything for us you know like like i want this to be something where yes we're doing stuff that is genuine to us and that we feel like we need to do it but at the same token like do do i want five readers or do i want five million like give me five million and what's wrong with me saying that yeah the, the first thing i was just thinking is i still don't know what happened in the intuition <laughs> there man man y'all yeah. read that book man tell me what happened to that book man i still don't know but anyway yeah i think um we we've been saying it for a while you got to get comfortable with uh engaging with that uh however you want to engage with it. i mean if you want to be saying that you you're un you're not okay with your success and that's fine but you need to be honest about it um i i definitely want five million over five Right. And then when I get that five million, I can get self-righteous and say, I'd rather have five. Really, you know? <laughs> Then I can do that because that, that's going to help me sell. Right. I can do that. Right. Because people be doing that. Like we got we're going to talk about Sister um, Sister Hoover, who has dethroned Sally Rooney for the Iron Throne. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, you know, Sally, you know, it makes it hurts her heart. Sometimes her success hurts her heart, makes her cry on the way back home. Man. So this stuff can be success can be traumatic, um, you know, and so I mean when you're next time you're reading a successful novel, just just worry about worry and wonder about how that success is uh, hurting people. You won't have to worry and wonder about me. My success won't be harming me. Um, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, yeah, I, I don't. I I think. So, so I guess the last question should be: Is writing books to sell books, like, or not completely doing that, but just like letting that influence the the writing of the book? Is that the way into the representation trap? It's probably the most prominent way, I would say. Mm. You know, um, because once again. I can present a manuscript to an agent. An agent is going to guide me towards being published. Mm. An agent is going to know, look, this is your identity. You, you know what I'm saying? 
Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I present an agent with a book with a black male protagonist that has a tendency towards violence. Right. Mm-hmm. That agent might come back to me and say, listen, your book would make a dope TV show, but I'm not going to get this published because right now they want cishet men to be reckoning with their manhood being a little bit more vulnerable now. Right. Yeah. 2011 when i was doing this man i could get your book i could have wrote you know what i'm saying yeah yeah. you know i'm i I probably had had these motherfuckers beating down my door right Mm -hmm. 2022 that ain't the move you know Mm -hmm. and and that's my thing i have to make a decision here right i have to make a decision to maybe pursue a new agent or i have to make the decision to tone down my violence and become mm-hmm. a little more vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. So I think what some people do, because it's already hard because of your identity, a lot of times they probably just say, you know what, fuck it, man. I, it took me, it took me way too long to even get this agent to give me feedback. I'm just gonna run with the feedback that this agent is giving me. Yeah, yeah, I think that probably happens more often than not. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't like how Ishmael's. Uh, I'll tell you this: I didn't like how the essay ended because I don't. Did you know what the hell you come out the end? Uh, let me. Literally, last paragraph. Last paragraph. I'm gonna read it out loud for the for the listeners and the viewers. Right, what Harris, mm-hmm. Leilani, and Taylor insist on here is a kind of mystery, a resistance of the easy legibility that the market demands. These writers cool are clearly record. casting about for possible. These writers are clearly casting about for possible readings that exceed the frameworks we've been giving. Where they flounder, mm-hmm. I, I believe they there's a little editing error there because it says founder, mm-hmm. but I believe it should be flounder. Is in their That's inability to conceive. Right, where they flounder is their <laughs> inability to conceive a blackness that exists independent of what white audiences think. At the I'm end of profits, right, which is uh, Brandon Taylor's short story that he wrote in 2021. Uh, Coleman wonders about all the writers yearning to be prophets and of the readers who yearn to be led to enlightenment. He questions mm-hmm. what these readers see when they look at the prophets aside from vague and mysterious shapes attaining and losing form in the smoke that rose from the ash. But this importantly, the story ends there with Coleman seeing black writers to the eyes of their readers. It's a devastating way to end a story about falling prey to the market siren call. Not with al- not with an alternate vision, but with an image of the double consciousness that white supremacy imposes on the black writer's psyche. Yeah, I, I get where he's going. Okay. Basically, what he's I mean, saying I need is, you to read it to me. Yeah. Yeah, I need you to read it to me. Um, yeah, they just they just can't. He's basically saying, you know, they the they attempted to subvert tried to representation yep. trap, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. they didn't. They failed. They, they you know, they fell they right failed. into it. Yeah. That's all I needed was you to read it to me. I feel so much better now. Sometimes, sometimes you just need a, a big black man to read read the last paragraph to you, and and uh, I thank you. Yeah, yeah. and that, that might have been called, when, when I got to that where they found her. I probably just checked. Out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, New York Times. Hey, that. look, y'all, y'all can hire me. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm open for business in terms of editing. You know, clearly uh-huh. there's an L. Y'all mm-hmm. took an L, y'all but I could have gave you the L, and y'all could have took a mm-hmm. W. You heard? Where yep. mm-hmm. so, uh, Pleasure reading. So you know we uh we have things that we have to get to. So we 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 have other topics that you'll hear next Monday from us. 
No worries. Yes, yes. Um, but Achille, what are you reading for pleasure? Hey man, Soul Dad brother. Yes, uh, George Jackson. Uh, there is, you know, and I, I've, I've, I've alluded to this in several different times, but I happen to have been forged in the Hotepian fire. Uh, may I Hotep? to um, my fellow brothers and sisters, because I know some authors out there that were forged in the Hotepian fire who might not let you know, Asheo, you know what I'm saying? To to those um, writers I know who were forged in the Hotepian fires. Before the fires started singeing uh, our clothing and before we started delving a little bit too deeply, you know, and, you know, but anyway, George Jackson is... Is is some of that brother is one of those required readings. Um, this might be um, right up in there, like probably Hotep one hundred and one, uh, probably first Hotepian class. When you're not too deep in there, you you haven't really gotten to the comedic sciences. You're just reading like Black Power books, right? This is one of those that you you got to have in your wheelhouse. So you got that some of that brother, the Prison Letters of George Jackson, and then. Yeah, I put that yeah. out there. You know, there's yeah. this, this is not a glitch, you know what I'm saying? But the cover art is flames, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, I was like, yo, I can't let Reggie and Chanel have all the fun, you know? Yeah. And maybe this will get me in y'all group chat, you know? I, I, I'm putting myself out there. I went to the store and I bought this book. I said, Reggie and Chanel uh, have read this book. They got this book in, and they think, I don't know if you in the group chat, patrons, um, patron, uh, whatever you call people that sell you stuff, I can't remember, but I won't be in the group chat, so I'm gonna buy this book, and here I am. So, yeah, um, we had to remove this post. A novel by Hannah Berkowitz, uh, is also on my pleasure, re pleasure reading docket, yeah. And 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 I'll just, um, that's a great segue into me, right? Because I've what mm -hmm. I've been trying to do for this pleasure reading thing, and, and I'll definitely credit this segment of the show is make sure I'm actually reading stuff that we're not doing like for work. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to make sure even to post about it, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. put a few quotes from the book and then some of my thoughts. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, the first example, the most recent example of that is Hannah Berwitz, um, uh, uh We had to remove this post. And then before that, there was Deborah Appleman's um, literature in the new culture wars. Right. And we had to remove this post was interesting to me and I won't spoil it or anything, but I just really enjoyed the way it talked about content, uh, Internet, social media content and being on the dark side of it and what it means to engage with it consistently and how that affects you. Right. Especially if you get hired by a company, um, there's a treat in the book. This is not a spoiler, but in the what is it like the author's note at the end mm. you know um Berwitz talks about some of the research she did that led her to write this novel because Berwitz is like highly successful over in the netherlands like mm -hmm. one of their more prominent writers it's actually just her first i think she's written like seven novels this is her first to be translated into english right and i definitely would like read her again I, I, you know it, it's good but i could imagine she can She's do better, better. Mm -hmm. yeah and, and that's primarily because this they call it a novel but really it's a novella and even mm -hmm. she called in her author's note a novella mm -hmm. right so yeah. i i imagine um 
she would do even better with more space. I'll be reading her again for sure. Um, a, another short book that I've started barely, to be honest, um, is how uh, uh, If an Egyptian Cannot Speak English by Noor Naga. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a few pages into that. I that's, read, in y'all, that's in y'all group chat too, right? That is. Definitely mm-hmm. is. And, and, yeah. and you know what? Yeah, yeah. Since if as you figure them out, I'll confirm as opposed to just putting them out there, right? <laughs> Shout out to you, Chanello. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and some books that I've read pages out of though are Homeland Elegies by Ayad Akhtar. I read some pages out of Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. I read some pages out of Deacon King Kong by James McBride. I've also read some pages out of Asymmetry by Lisa Holiday. Um, so I've just been like, I realized that's my flavor. My flavor is, yo, just, you know, kind of like with music, like just listen to what you need listen to be listening bit, to to yeah. make sure that you are listening. Right. I'm reading pages out of these various books to make sure I am reading. And um, it's interesting because out of all of those I just named, I haven't done enough of Noronagas yet to decide like how much I like it. But out of the other ones that I've named, I think Homeland Elegies might be winning. No, it's mm-hmm. it's 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 maybe a tie between. Actually, do I believe that? Mm. You know what? So I'll say this, and once again, I got to continue going forward, right? But I would say probably Homeland Elegies in a symmetry are probably doing the most that I like. James McBride is like right there underneath it, it. right? And then Harlem Shuffle is right underneath that. And and it's interesting with James McBride and Colson Whitehead because they're both doing these historical set pieces that are crime novels in New York. Mm. McBride's is in Brooklyn in 69. Whitehead's is in Harlem in 59, right? Um... But I, I'll I'll keep y'all updated on these and other pleasurable reads that I uh, that we have going forward. Um, anything we need to say before we get out of here? Mm-hmm. I know I got a couple things, but anything you you want to? No, man. No, man. Shout out to let's see. I'm trying to think, man. Uh shoot. <laughs> hey, shout out to them hoes. <laughs> I couldn't resist it. Shout them out, man. Look, everybody right. need love, baby. That's everybody needed. That's a joke. Uh <laughs> going on and up. Sometimes we write each other funny notes, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I can't think of nothing, man. Um I'm trying to think though. That I feel like that I should shout out somebody. Um I don't know, man. Shout out Robert Jones Jr., man. Yeah, man. Homie, man. Forever, man. man. Forever, man. Shout out Robert Jones Jr. Um, shoot, man. Shout out Disha Feel Y'all's brooch, the, the little thing that she used to wear when she was younger. Shirts. So, shouts. I'll say shouts to huge friend of the show, Honoré Jeffers. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. She recently won the Dayton Peace Literary Dayton Literary Peace Prize for Fiction. Mm-hmm, Shout out mm-hmm. to another friend of the show, Clint Smith. 
Yeah, Y'all yeah. can go on our backlogs and find our episodes with Honore and Clint, right? Because mm-hmm. we interview prize winners here because that's just how we curate things. That's how it works. Um, so they he won the Dayton Literary Peace Prize for nonfiction. Shout out to another prize winner and buddy, uh, Hernan Diaz. Yo, it's funny because the reason why I put buddy for him, right, is mm-hmm. definitely racial. Because yeah. you ever notice, like, when white people talk about friends, oh, I got a buddy. Yeah, who, buddy, man. Or, or like, the black dude who's been, like, mm-hmm. making a lot of buddies. He'll start calling them buddies. Buddy, so I said, man. hey, our buddy, My Ernan. good buddy. Right? good buddy, yeah. yeah so man. our buddy, Ernan Diaz, recently won the Kirkus Prize for Fiction um, mm-hmm. with his, for his novel, Trust. And, oh, you, you thought we didn't interview our buddy. He's in the backlog, too. Our buddy, Ernan's in the, back, in the backlog as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, shout out to him. Hey, it, it really is. Shouts also to the other Kirkus Prize winner, um, to, to Nice, I believe, in, in their book in uh Sensorium, which won the Kirkus Prize for nonfiction, and Harmony Becker in her book, uh Himawari House, which won the Kirkus Prize for Young People's Literature, and it was uh, a graphic novel too. And I think it's I think it's dope that like these prizes are making sure to kind of like make space for the graphic novel. I'm noticing that more and more lately. And I might should have said this in pleasure reading, but this episode cannot be done without me saying this. Percival Everett is dropping a book. Mm-hmm. It comes out Tuesday, mm-hmm. Doctor. No. I know I'm wondering, yeah. is Percival Everett like this show's favorite author that we met? Like, we haven't interviewed him or nothing, but is he like our favorite new author i think he might be i was just looking at erasure in, in my um like little tub over there i, was, I didn't take this out but this is what i need to be reading for pleasure reading. Yeah. um personally hey we've been we've been we've been screaming about percival all year with as of the trees and we was just we was just in a group chat talking about the trees too boy mm-hmm. i was just saying it's different man the trees is different so, and i yeah and 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 what's fascinating about Doctor No, this is not a spoiler. It's in like the Kirkus review. Um, the one of the people who are like central is like someone who was in a novel of his from the '90s, Glyph. Right? Mm-hmm. It's this this genius baby who's that now like baby. an adult. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 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 excited. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm probably gonna do Doctor No first, mm-hmm. but I am definitely gonna go back and see how this baby was um, and read Glyph later on. So big shouts to perhaps BAPC's favorite new author, uh, Percival Everett. Um, On that note, man, he's Achilles Nazuri. I'm Reggie Bailey. This has been, I think this is 56 or 57 episode, 56, 57 of Books Pop Culture, 58. I don't know. But uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And we will see y'all next time. Peace.